0: I don't know if you made any generic wishes for a new year. I don't know. Maybe you made some really big wishes for a new year. You know, the generic one is we always wish for world peace, right? That, that's the generic uh, kind of uh, beauty pageant answer. What's your wish? I wish for world peace, which is quite a wish, right? That's a pretty lofty. I don't know if you've watched any news or read any news lately, World peace is is quite the reach at this point. But when we are trying to navigate world peace, we'll we'll hear these stories about how some kind of politician or powerful dignitary will bring together these two sides that are in political conflict or uh, maybe even military conflict, and they will have a peace talk, right? They'll come together in some neutral place to have a conversation to see if they can find a way For Peace. What I would submit to you this morning as we walk into a new year is the Lord's table is where we have a peace talk. It's where we come together to discuss what Christ has done to purchase our peace. And as I look backwards, I don't know about how many of you would would resonate with this. I found myself not reflecting on the last year. I found myself reflecting on the last two years. Right. Because it's a bit of a blur. Right. And what I believe we could use a healthy dose of is the peace of God. And the thing about that need is I believe it's available this morning. not generic situational peace and maybe not even relational peace, I'm afraid. But I believe spiritual peace is available on the authority of the cross and the empty tomb. I believe peace is available to us today. We'll look at the text in a minute, but there is one verse I want us to look at this morning to kind of set the tone. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 says, Christ himself has brought peace to us. Some translations of that say Christ himself is our peace. And so here's the whole sermon in a sentence. While, while you're still awake, let me say this. Here's the whole sermon in a sentence. And this is one of those things that doesn't sound profound enough to be said with this much enthusiasm. But man, I think it needs to be said. There is no lasting peace apart from Jesus. And I believe. I mean, I like believe, believe. Like down in the soul, believe That the more that we pursue the person of Jesus, the more we experience peace. The more that we pursue the presence of Jesus, the more we experience peace. The more that we live in the purposes of Jesus, we experience the peace that he offers. And I think far too often we want to experience his peace apart from himself. And that will be very temporary peace. So grab your Bible, if you would, this morning, or your tablet, or whatever you use. We're going to hold it up in the air, as our tradition is, and say it together this morning. Since we've got a lot of folks still under the covers this morning, you've got to say it like twice as loud this morning with me, all right? So let's hold them up and say it together. Here we go. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I read from verse 14 a minute ago. That's not actually our text this morning, but Ephesians chapter 2, if you're using a tablet or a phone or whatever, I'm actually going to be reading out of the New Living Translation this morning um, for one specific word's reason. I love how it renders this one word in the text that we're going to focus on a little bit this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 8, 9 and then the heart of our focus this morning is verse number 10. Verse number 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Happy New Year. <laughs> Woof. Man, I mean if that's not good, maybe I read it too fast. God saved you by his grace When you believed, not when you got it right, not when you became worthy, not when you figured it out, not when you got your act together, not when you kept your New Year's resolutions. He saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This is a gift From God. I don't know what you got for Christmas, but I believe that the cross means there's a gift available to everyone who responds in faith, saving grace. And we don't get credit for that. You can get credit for keeping some of your New Year's resolutions. Yay, you. Rock on with your bad self. But saving your eternal soul is infinitely above your pay grade to save. We can't take credit for that. It's His doing. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And let's just think about that for a minute. If it were, what if salvation was a reward for the good things that we would do? I don't know anybody who's done that many good things. (laughs) So even if we could boast about it, none of us can boast about it. I mean, we know each other, right? We've been doing life together long enough. We ain't got nothing to brag about when it comes to his goodness, right? Keeping it real on this New Year's. (laughs) So even if we could boast about it, we don't have anything to boast about. Verse number 10, though, this is our focus. For we are God's masterpiece. We're going to focus on that word in just a minute. He has created us anew. In Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I want to talk about Master Peace this morning. Christ himself is our peace. Christ himself has brought us peace. And this morning, I actually have four points. I try to not do that. That's not how I try to preach, but I've got four points this morning. So all of you outline takers who are a little more on the OCD side, right? Happy New Year from my heart to yours. We have four like actual points that will be on the screens this morning. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, the reason I don't use points is because I'm talking to the most of you who are like, what's he talking about? Anyways, we're talking about masterpiece. Here it is. We can experience masterpiece because he has made us a masterpiece. See what we did there? We can experience masterpiece because he has made us a masterpiece. That that word there, that, and this main reason we're using the New Living Translation this morning, uh, there's a handful of translations that render it um, handiwork. Uh, maybe you grew up in the King James, it used the word workmanship, right? But workmanship doesn't sound as elegant to us. That's why I love the rendering of the word Masterpiece. Because the word here, we're going to talk about a little bit about the original language for just a second. We're not going to get super academic, so don't check out on me, okay? But in the Greek, this is the word poema, where we get the word poem. This is a work of art. This is a masterpiece. That is what we are in the handiwork of God. Because here's the thing. I can make something and call it a masterpiece. But those of you who know my handyman skills, why are you already laughing? <laughs> it's not going to be a masterpiece. Not by anybody's Maybe by my mom's standards. <laughs> That's so pretty. It would be the kind of thing only a mother would love. Yeah. But the God of the universe doesn't make junk, Right? He's created a masterpiece, his poem to the universe in us. This word, poema, is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's a, it's a, it's a, the reason that we have these different renderings of handiwork, masterpiece, workmanship is, is it's a word that we don't see used a whole lot in the New Testament. The only other time it's used is in Romans chapter 1, where God's talking about all of creation and what it reveals. Romans chapter 1, verse number 20, talks about his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. Two pretty big parts of his attributes, right? Right? His eternal power and his divine, his godness, right? have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the poema. That whole phrase, the things he has made, is one word. Masterpiece. (laughs) Workmanship. Handiwork. We see the godness of God expressed in his masterpieces. This is, is what he's placed on you. Which means you're walking into a new year with nothing to prove. You got nothing to pretend, nothing to measure up to, nobody's standard to, to to meet so that they give you your thumbs up. No, no, no. You're a masterpiece of the sovereign God. And one of the negatives, I, I think New Year's resolutions are a wonderful thing. I think examining our lives and, and, and walking forward is always a healthy and wonderful thing. One of the negatives of that, though, is it just becomes another avenue for the enemy to suck us into the comparison game. Because we start looking at not how do I want to improve my life, it's how do I want my life to look more like theirs, because they seem to have it all together on social media, which we know is always completely accurate. And here's the glory of it all. With all of your strengths and weaknesses, you're the handiwork of God. You're the masterpiece of God. You don't need anybody's approval today. Chasing after the never-ending, I'm good enough, is from the enemy himself. Here's what comes from God. You're a work of art. And now, maybe one of your goals for this year is to shrink your art. (laughs) That's fine. Whatever. That's fine. But no, you're not a mistake. You're a masterpiece. And there's incredible peace found in that. I talked to our high school students a couple weeks ago at Winter Retreat in Broken Bow about high school biology class. I remember something specific about my high school biology class. Coach Williams was my teacher. And it was not the first time that I had a good teacher that taught through the lenses of a biblical worldview. It was just the first time I paid attention. I remember the moment in biology class, as clear as if it were yesterday, that I went, that's actually interesting. Because he talked about the handiwork of God in us. Like, it wasn't just science. It wasn't just biology. It was, hey, this is God's design in you. And I remember this light bulb. I worshiped God in class that day because of Coach Williams with his old school mustache and balding hairline. But man, he made an impact in that moment. One of the things that we learn in high school biology is that everything about us is really informed by the database of our 46 chromosomes. 23 from mom, 23 from dad. And some of us resent at least a few of those 23 chromosomes because the receding hairline was... Informed by some of those chromosomes, the big nose, the whatever your thing is, right? Your, your metabolism is informed by those chromosomes, right? It's, it's the, it's the code that writes the software of who we are. And here's what's amazing about these 23 chromosomes, right? The statistical probability that you would get the 23 that you got from your mother, just those 23, is 0.5 to the 23rd power. And for those of us who are not mathematicians, that means 1 in 10 million. That you got those 23 chromosomes from your mom is a probability of 1 in 10 million. And that's just for half of them. When you take the 23 chromosomes you got from your father and you multiply them together, that is one in 100 trillion. The chances that God would make you you is one in 100 trillion. You are incalculably unique, just like everybody else. Did anybody get that? You're unique. Okay. I thought that was funny. I I still remember the first time I saw that bumper sticker. Always remember you're unique. Just like everybody else. I laughed out loud. I honked the person I waved. Made my day. Okay. The chances. That's a true story. The chances that you would be you. One in 100 million. Which means... You can let yourself off the hook from trying to be somebody else or to measure up to some ridiculous, perfect standard. There's incredible peace found in knowing I am designed by a God who does not make mistakes. I'm made on purpose for a purpose. By the way, as amazing as that one in 100 million is, that doesn't calculate that that same mathematical probability applies to your parents' parents and their parents and their parents. It'll make you crazy because it's math. But I believe you're not a mistake. On the authority of the scriptures, I believe that you can experience a masterpiece because He's made us a masterpiece. But what I love about this verse is it says He's created us anew in Christ Jesus. So if He did all of that the first time He made you, And then he did not spare his own son for you. How much more detail is he putting into what he's making you now? Amen. God's up to something in you. And there's great peace found in that. We're going to speed up for the next three points. Because we're going to rush towards the Lord's table together now. But the second thing that we see in this is that we can have master Peace because he has paid for us a master price. See, that's the thing about a masterpiece, like an artist's creation, is it gets assigned to it. What? Value. It's the reason that true masterpieces only belong in super-rich people's houses or museums. Because normal people can't afford the masterpieces. We get prints of the masterpiece or plastic recreations of the masterpiece. But because he's designed us with such intentionality and wonder, he assigned a value to us that was worth the life of his son. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus shows you how much you're worth to him. That's the price he paid. Is that incredible? We had some of the guys from our high school basketball team over at our house last week, a couple of days before Christmas, and they went outside and started shooting around and acting like they were studs and whatever. And <laughs> it's so sad. And they were like talking trash to each other as they lowered the goal to like six <laughs> feet. And they're like, seriously, it was like, Fisher price height of a goal. And they're like, what's up, man? I'm going to dunk on you. And then they still couldn't dunk on each other. It's the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. But here's the thing about the price that was paid for us. Because of the holiness of God, there was no bargain basement deal to be made. His standard will not lower. He will not lower the goal. The standard demanded the perfect sacrifice of his son. Because none of us have ever perfectly kept our New Year's resolution lists. (laughs) Because no matter how hard we try, we really don't have anything to boast about. Which is why the Apostle Paul said, if I'm going to boast anything, I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ my Lord. There's such great peace in knowing that God's called me a work of art and then proved it by what he paid. But there's more to the verse. There's actually two parts to this verse. The first one is about God's work in us. The second part of this verse is God's work through us, namely there is masterpiece found in knowing that he has purchased for us a master purpose. Right? I I I, I <laughs> I don't think this will be a shock. I'm not an art connoisseur. I don't understand it. I I I think art is cool. Like I I'm a I think I'm a somewhat artistic guy. Like I we go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and I'm like, that's great. They're like, Yes, that's worth seven hundred billion dollars. And I'm like, No, it's not. There's no economy that's ever existed that could justify the amount of money in that building. Because it doesn't do anything. I'll tell you what's actually more interesting to me is, you know, my son Ethan has gotten into classic cars thanks to some guys in the church who've ruined us financially. And um, we went to this classic car show. Now, that's a work of art that gets me excited because I walk by a muscle car that's been restored. And I'm like, if you were to get behind the wheel of that thing and just like punch the accelerator, testosterone would crawl up your spinal cord and punch your brain. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. It's the best I got. I don't know where that just came from. That was not in my notes. <laughs> it does something right. And that's the thing about the masterpiece that we are is we're not meant to just be a display. We don't just hang in some museum back underneath a little light somewhere or in some wealthy person's house that nobody sees unless they're hosting a dinner party. No, no, no. He's made us a masterpiece that's actually supposed to go out on the streets. There's a work for us. Matter of fact, before he created us, he created our destiny. Before we became us, he had a purpose that he designed for us to fulfill. And I just want to say this, especially with... COVID numbers spiking, there's again this, there's this tendency to withdraw and to, oh man, I need to, need to dial back down the, here's the deal y'all, use as much precaution as, as you possibly can, but understand this, there is a purpose on planet earth that's been designed specifically for you that no pandemic can stop. There are people who need to experience the peace of Jesus for no other reason than that they know you. They sense something on you and they feel something on you that they're like, man, I don't know what's up with you, but I want to know more about it. Because when I look to my left and I look to my right, I see nothing but chaos. But I look into your eyes and you're not losing your mind. How is that true? And you're like, man, I've had a master's level course in peace. His name is Jesus. You've got a purpose that's bigger than you. Sometimes I watch movies about great art being stolen. And then it has to be hidden. It's ridiculous. It's almost as ridiculous as being purchased by the broken body and shed blood of Jesus and not living on mission. We're not just a masterpiece with a master price so that we can feel better about ourselves. We're a masterpiece bought with a master price and then given a master purpose that no one else is called to fulfill. It's just for you. (laughs) Like one in a hundred trillion just for you. That's the beauty of who we are in Jesus. We're going to start a... A new series through the book of Acts next week. I'm so excited. I've never preached through the book of Acts, and I'm, I'm thrilled. I've been asking the Lord to let me do that. I had planned on starting this in, in 2020, um, and I'm really excited we're, we're getting to do this. And In several weeks, we'll get to Acts chapter 9, which is where Saul, the persecutor, becomes Paul, the apostle, on the road to Damascus. The amazing thing, though, is—I'm not going to get ahead of myself—but the amazing thing is he asks two questions— In that moment, that life-altering moment, a light shines from heaven, knocks him flat on his back. And he asks two questions. The first one is, who are you? He actually says, who are you, Lord? Acknowledging, I think I know who you are. Just confirm it for me. But who are you? And then here's the second question he asks. What do you want me to do? (laughs) When he met Jesus, he knew that meant there's a new purpose for my life. And then in, in the peace of God, from the presence of God, he walked through suffering and persecution, shipwreck and heartache with peace. Because he was living on mission. Bigger than his circumstances. Masterpiece. Because we're a masterpiece. Bought with a master price. Purchased for a master purpose. And then here's the exciting thing. We can have masterpiece because we are connected to the master's people. Because there's a little word in this verse that I doubt any of us noticed the first time that we read it. And we're so wired to think about me and Jesus alone with my cup of coffee and my Instagram filter. That we don't even see this word when it appears in the text and it's the word we. We. Are his masterpiece. This thing that God is building among the people of God and the family of God, this is his work of art. His work of art is the most unlikely thing you could imagine, because it's people from all different backgrounds and economic standards and ethnic backgrounds and family experiences and, and and different ways of life and different kinds of jobs and different communities and different neighborhoods and different education levels and different careers and God's making them one people. So here's the beauty of whatever 2022 is going to face. You are valued. You are worth the body and blood of Jesus. You have a purpose and you are not alone. There's where the peace is found. You are not alone. We're part of the family of God. The people of God of God, this this thing called communion that we come together to this morning. I'm almost done. Another Greek word, the word communion, is the word koinonia. If you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard that word before. It's a word we use for fellowship. It's the word we use for connecting. The reality is the word koinonia is most appropriately translated, participation. Which fits with what the apostle Paul said about communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 16. He said, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Communion is our common union in the body and blood of Jesus. It's the thing that brings us together. So I want you to look underneath the seat in front of you, and I want you to grab the little cup. Don't open it just yet. But I want you to grab that and hold it in your hands. And Here's what that is. Everybody got it? Everybody have it in your hand? You ready? You know what this is? This is your participation trophy in the family of God. Now, I'm not real big on participation trophies in athletics. I think they kind of... Kind of hurt athleticism to be honest with you. And I think given a a kid like me should not have gotten a trophy for academics. I might would today, but I didn't when I went to school, nor should I have. But I'm so glad that I'm not judged based on my performance in this deal. I'm so glad I'm not measured that I better be the MVP if I win a trophy in the family of God because I have nothing to boast about. He invites me in through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus to participate in a new identity and in a new peace. That's my purpose in the world. Skip Heitzig said, I heard him say a few weeks ago, he said, Because God does glorious work with imperfect tools, he gets more glory. Because God does glorious work with imperfect tools, he gets more glory. He went on to explain it like this. If a surgeon can operate in a jungle with a pocket knife, it's a good surgeon. If a builder can build a home with an old hammer and a bent handsaw, that's an impressive builder. If somebody can play Beethoven's Ninth Symphony on a flute made from a piece of bamboo, that's quite a musician. And if God can change the world through dead people, sinful people that have been raised to life, that is a great God. That's what we get to participate in. And that is what the bread and the cup remind us of today. Now, I would say this before we move on um, who is this moment for? Here at Temple, we believe this is for those who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Who've been, as we read a moment ago, saved by grace when we believed. We don't think you can remember what you haven't experienced. We believe that this is a remembrance for those who are the sons and daughters of God and who've sealed that, made that public by being baptized. And so if you're watching online and you're not a member of temple if you've been saved and baptized we invite you to take with us if you're in this room and you're not a member of this church but you've been saved and baptized we invite you to take that with us if you've not been saved or baptized we'd encourage you to take this moment to reflect and in just a moment during our final song there's going to be some men and women in the prayer room in the back maybe you want to have a conversation about that very thing or maybe you want to text prayfw to ninety four thousand and say It's time to have a conversation because I want to participate in the work of Jesus. Our elementary students are here because there's many of our elementary students who've placed their faith in Jesus and who've been baptized. And we want them to participate in this moment with us. If if one of the the students who are in here, if you've not been saved or baptized and your parents tell you, no, this is not something for you to partake of. I'm the bad guy. You can be mad at me, not mom and dad because I don't have to go home with you. I'll be the bad guy. The fact is, this is one of those things in Scripture that we're supposed to take very seriously. Scriptures inform us that we're supposed to reflect, and it's why it's so fitting for this time of year that we reflect. And we don't reflect in a way of shame, because if you reflect on the last year and don't have any regrets, if you reflect on the last year and have nothing to repent of, then I would submit to you, you need to repent of pride right and we reflect on the last year not of man I made no mistakes last year yay yay me no 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 we reflect being grateful that we've been saved by grace when we believed <laughs> that it's not up to us to save ourselves we reflect with gratitude and with joy for the work of the cross and then in that I just think the simplest but often unlooked moment is a heartfelt, focused thank you. This is a great moment before we run into another year to stop and say, God, thank you for the peace that's been purchased for me through the broken body and the shed blood of your son.